And this music is, uh, well, by a, a music theoretic standpoint, it is god-awful. Hello, and welcome to the EuroWhat, episode number 191 for the week of April 17th, 2023. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest. I'm Ben Smith, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike McComb. Hey, Mike. Hello. In this episode, we'll be talking about the middle section of Semifinal 2 with our special guest, Susan Rogers. Hello, Susan. Hello. Nice to be here with you. I've listened to the songs that uh, we're going to be talking about today, and I'm eager to talk about it with you. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. In addition to being a professor at Berkeley, you are also a music producer who's worked with the likes of Prince and Bare Naked Ladies, which as a Minnesotan, just deeply love that. Let's talk about your book. This is what it sounds like. I saw the talk you gave at the Boston Book Fest last fall and just really loved that and thought it was a super interesting framework for thinking about music in general, but as somebody who listens to a lot of Eurovision, applying it to that very specific kind of subgenre. Your book does a wonderful job of breaking things down into the various dimensions of how we approach music, not only from the purely musical perspective of just like, what are the lyrics? What's what's going on in the background? But what we hear when we hear a singer's voice. Yeah, the book is describing the listener profile. And what that means is, it's kind of your palette. It refers to your unique auditory processing circuitry that is connected to your dopaminergic reward pathway and allows you as an individual to uniquely respond to a given piece of music. This listener profile is developing over the course of our lives, so it's always getting more and more refined and honed. No one else hears music exactly the way that you do, and the book is describing that. Yeah, I found the book absolutely fascinating, and I really wish I had read it before we had started this year's review series. I think it would have offered a little bit more nuanced uh, conversation about some of the entries. But there was one line in the book in particular that caught my eye. For the musically adventurous, radical music is like catnip, and to the less intrepid, it is like a swarm of bees. And as soon as I read that, I was like, okay, that is Eurovision in a nutshell, I think. So... (laughs) Were you familiar with Eurovision prior to this? Have you followed the contest at all? I don't follow it, but I'm familiar with it. I don't know if you guys remember this, but Monty Python did a skit way back in the 70s on the Eurovision Song Contest. And I remember it being just funny as hell. And that was the first time that I became aware as an American citizen of the of the song contest. So I've known about it for a long time. Yes, I am deeply familiar with that that particular Monty Python sketch. I think I've referenced it a couple times on the show. Oh. Like again, it's it's one of those places in pop culture where I first became aware of the contest. Yeah, and and it, you know, on its surface, it seems like okay, this this is comedy gold. Like there could be some songs that are really funny, and maybe in its early days, there there might have been some entrants that were not quite record ready, as we say, but clearly everyone now is up to speed on this. And these are commercially viable records. Just thinking about record ready, I was rereading the book over the past week and opening with the Shags, a group that has a lot of passion in what they're doing, but also is just very fresh. 
Yeah, and for folks who don't know who the Shags are, maybe you might want to look them up because there was no one quite like the Shags. They were these three sisters who grew up in uh, rural New Hampshire in the 1960s, and their very domineering dad decided that his daughters were destined for musical greatness, whether they liked it or not. So he put musical instruments in their hands, and these are teenagers, right? And he kind of locked them up in their room took them out of school, didn't let them see boys or have a social life, and just demanded that they would write and play and ultimately record music. And this music is, uh, well, by a a music theoretic standpoint, it is (laughs) 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 god-awful. They, they, you know, they, they don't even know how to tune their instruments, much less play together. But there's kind of a synergy in these three sisters making music together. And the reason that folks in the music business pay careful attention to the shags is because of the purity of their intentionality. They're showing us how with no technique whatsoever, just like a little toddler doing a a child's drawing of mom and dad, they don't know how to do it. And because there's no technique you can immediately hear what they're trying to do. What they're trying to do is communicate musically. And they're writing these simple little lyrics about what it's like to be a teenage girl. It's heartfelt. It's authentic. It's genuine. It's sincere. We know in the music business, if you've got a perfect performance on vocals or on instruments, it's perfectly executed, but it's got no soul. It's got no heart. It's got none of that roughness that the shags have. It's going to be boring and vapid. So the shags remind us of that quality that we need to hear in music if we're going to believe the performers. Absolutely. And I think that's something that comes up often in the songs that we talk about on the show. And one of the things that I really liked in the book was your mention of record pulls of sort of like listening parties of different albums, which I guess that's kind of what we're doing today. So maybe we should dive into that. Julia Petersdotter is a physiotherapy student and self-declared Eurovision nerd who will be representing Iceland at the contest with her song Power. Her first brush with televised singing competitions happened in 2015 when she appeared on the second season of Iceland's Got Talent. To get to Eurovision, Julia competed in Song of a Captain, Iceland's national selection process, where she sailed through the first semifinal and grand final, taking top marks every step of the way. The song has since reached number one on Iceland's singles chart. Last year, Iceland finished in 23rd place with the song Meth Hakandi Sol by Sister. Power is written by Delia Petersdotter and Palmi Ragnar Asgerson. Asgerson also wrote Iceland's 2015 entry, Unbroken. So Susan, what did you make of this when you listened to it? Good record. All of these that you had me listen to, they're all good records. Powerful singer. The Delia is clearly a, a strong singer. The thing that surprised me the most about this record was the rhythm. 
It was kind of odd because, uh, you know, modern dance music is just an outgrowth of, of hip hop and reggaeton. This was definitely a rock rhythm. And that was an interesting juxtaposition. That drum beat is more often heard on alternative Indian rock records. So the drum beat was surprising. And I liked that element about it because I, I wouldn't have put those elements together that way. I thought it had a good melody. And I liked the hook at the tail end of the chorus. I thought that was the memorable part of it. This is a strong record. I, I think it'll do well. I like this one, too. I feel like this one slots in nicely with sort of my everyday playlist. Like I'm getting a little bit of Robin from it. More like late 90s Robin than her more recent albums. But in terms of a Eurovision entry, I don't know how it's going to do. Mm. Like I, it. And really, that's kind of the story of the second semifinal. I feel like there is maybe one or two songs that are a shoe-in to get to the final, and then it's a total free-for-all for everything else. Thinking of the Song for Kepnin performances, she's rolling around on the floor, and it's a lot of overhead shots, which for TV, that's great. For the people in the arena, they may not be able to see what's actually happening on stage. So I'm curious if there's going to be any tweaks to the staging to help this song kind of reach a, I don't want to say next level. I feel like that's expecting a little too much from the song. Like I, I feel like it's like kind of right down the middle pop in a lot of ways, but I want this to do well. I think it might have a little bit of trouble though in the actual competition. Another thing I was thinking about it is that lyrically it's gonna appeal to, I think, a narrow audience, a fairly narrow audience, which would be perhaps young females, because it is about empowerment. And I wondered if that could perhaps alienate some listeners. Not that there's anything wrong with targeting a specific audience. You should do that in the recording studio. But if you're competing in a in a big contest like this, a lyric that targets a wider demographic might have a stronger chance. I would agree with that. And there are a lot of female empowerment type songs mm. this year. So it could get lost in the shuffle uh, in, in that realm. So, But Ben, uh, what do you think of this one? I think Delia is one of my favorite vocals in this contest. The live versions of this song just pop for me. She knows when to let her voice soar and when to be a little bit more controlled. The actual timbre of her voice, the rawness at the edges of it really delight me. And I'm really interested to see how that sounds in the arena. Yeah, definitely a really powerful singer. And the vibe of the song is very much a community song. It's not, uh, all right, everyone, forget about yourselves for a moment and listen to me. It's a group. It's an us kind of song, which does well in a broad setting. Yeah. And Mike, I like your touch point of Robin because lyrically this feels very call your girlfriend to me. Mm. Letting someone down graciously, lyrically, which I so like that touch point like really resonates with me as well. Do you guys think it could win? Hmm. I'm, I'm not sure it could win. I can see this one getting to the final. I find it very funny that Delia calls herself a Eurovision nerd because I feel like Iceland is a country of Eurovision nerds. I think somewhere around like 90% of the population watches the show. But on the other hand, I feel like Iceland has qualified with worse and not qualified with better. So it could just be the, the mood of the night and just sort of how this sticks out or doesn't stick out as they're playing a recap of everything from the night. Yeah, and the overall tendency in the judging panel and in the audience to be liberal or conservative. This is kind of right there in the middle. What really struck me was that drum groove. I really didn't expect that. And so I thought that was a little bit on the more innovative side for a, essentially a conservative track. Uh, but I, I, I'd like to see this one do well. 
Yeah. And if it does make it to the final, I feel like the producers have a lot of uh, like this could really be placed anywhere in the lineup. Feels like it's a good mode of transition between two tracks that might otherwise be really different from one another, which uh, has very high potential in this year's contest. There's a little bit of everything this year. Well, you know what they say. Greece internally selected 16-year-old singer-songwriter Victor Vernikos and his song, What They Say. Victor is the youngest entrant in this year's competition and the youngest ever to represent Greece. He started playing piano at age four, started writing songs at age 11, and began producing in 2021. Greece's selection hit a bit of controversy when one of the other contestants filed a lawsuit against the delegation for possible fishy results in tabulating the points of the professional and public focus group juries. The courts declined the lawsuit, but it did cause a delay in Greece's rollout of the entry. Victor wrote and produced What They Say and wrote the song when he was 14. Last year's Greek entry, Die Together by Amanda Tenfjord, finished in eighth place. Oh, wow. You just zinged an arrow to my heart with that 14. I just love young people. And so this makes me like the record even more. Really very, very good and very competent for a teenager exceptional. The vocal is treated in a very intimate way. And what the message is, is I want you to listen to my lyrics. I want you to pay attention to me. That's all very, very nice. The rhythm, four on the floor, that kick drum, when it does play, is uh, very, very joyous. But the song isn't treated in a joyous way. So there was a little bit of a contradiction there between and then kind of the melody and the harmony and the, the, the dance vibe that was going on with that four on the floor. So I, I was a little bit curious about that. I thought maybe that diluted the overall message a little bit. Another thing that could work against Victor is that the song had a lot of changes in the arrangement, which made it difficult to memorize. It, it went through a lot of changes, which are, th- these are all great when we're talking about a singer songwriter or we're doing prog rock. But if you want something that is memorable and is going to work on the pop charts, it maybe was a little bit too convoluted in its arrangements to maybe earn the top prize. It could have been distilled and condensed into a, a, a simpler form. I think that would have worked in its favor. Now, all those changes do keep grabbing our attention, but it makes it harder to memorize. I I really like that note about how the vocals are treated, because it does really kind of pull you in close. I have a couple other friends who are starting to go through the list of this year's contestants, and one of them messaged me on Facebook like right away of really not liking Grease and finding it a little bit whiny, just overall lyrically tone-wise, and it, it helped me understand why I'm resonating with it. Lyrically and production-wise, this is making me think of, especially given that he's 16 and writing about heartbreak, is that it reminds me of Olivia Rodrigo. Mm. That sort of driver's license slash good-for-you place of just being very young and having your heart broken for the first time. But he can't hide the fact that he's a very competent musician and and that he's got a lot of music theory knowledge and he knows what he's doing. So he's he's lost the naivete that Olivia Rodrigo's music had. And she used an awful lot of repetition in her lyrics and in in Driver's License that Victor's not using here. Agreed. 
I really liked how when the song is sort of about to open up into that big group chorus towards the end, there's like some really lovely, I think it's guitar work with it just sort of like, it gets it gets much strummier. I like the way that the underlying instrumentation changes because it does sort of, as someone who listens to these songs a lot, I pick up new details each time. One area that I do kind of wonder with this song is I don't have a mental idea of how they're going to stage this which is not necessarily a bad thing. I think Greece, especially in the last couple of years, has done some very interesting things with their staging and, and created some really interesting images. But also, I just don't know what they're going to do with this and what this will look like coming between Iceland and Poland. Mike, what are what are your thoughts? Yeah, so I liked this song when I first heard it, and I find it more and more annoying with each listen. <laughs> All of the changes that keep happening in it, it it's... It feels very ticky in a way. The second verse in particular, I I think, is a mess and just really difficult to follow. It feels like he's trying to stuff too many things within the three-minute time limit that he has. Mm. He is extremely talented, extremely gifted musician and songwriter, but I think he's just trying to show everything that he can do within such a short amount of time. I think it would be stronger if he did take out some of those elements and it would still be a solid song. This feels like a very adult song or something that is drawing on a lot of experience that either he's had a very challenging life as a 16-year-old or there's not full sincerity behind it. Or he's, he's or, or it feels a little bit imagined in a way. And this has happened before. Like a couple of years ago, there was a, a singer from Malta, Destiny, who had a song that felt like... It was written for somebody who was maybe 15 years older than her. I think she was 18 at the time, like very young. And she could sing the song great, perform it incredibly well. But there was still this mismatch between the story that she was trying to tell and what the expected experience of an 18-year-old would be. It didn't feel earned, I Mm. guess is the best way to say it. But yeah, and I'm also curious about how this one will be staged. I'm hoping that there are dancers on the stage or it's not just him on stage, because I, I think that's going to kind of further highlight the mismatch that I'm finding with the song. Mm. I like that's good analysis. I liked uh, the section with the acoustic guitar and then there was kind of a snarly background going on, which was really nice. And there are good ideas in there, but I think some of those ideas could have been pared down. If I had been a producer working with him, I definitely would have started by stripping the whole thing down to acoustic guitar and vocal and then building it up from there. And I don't know that I would have gone with that four on the floor kick drum. The incongruence between the joyful elements and the oh, heartbreak elements diluted both. We didn't get quite enough joy from it, and we didn't get quite enough pain from it. So I thought it could use more congruence overall. is Poland. Blanka Stykov is a model, DJ, singer, and songwriter. In 2021, Blanka appeared in the casting rounds for season 10 of Poland's Next Top Model, but missed the cut to be part of the main cast. Her first single came out while she was on the show, and her second single, Solo, was released in fall 2022. 
The road to Eurovision has been a bumpy one. Solo was one of 10 entries in Poland's national selection. Though the song was second in the televote, there have been accusations of the jury tanking the scores of other contestants in favor of Blanca. Also, her dancers appear to be part of a group owned by one of the members of the jury. Oh, and she may have been romantically linked to the son of Edita Gorniak, Poland's very first Eurovision representative in 1994 and the main juror on the panel. Solo is written by Blanka Stajkov, Maciej Puhalski, Mikolaj Tripulets, Bartłomiej Zieczeczki, Marcin Gurecki, Maria Broberg, and Julia Sundberg. Tripulets is also a writer on Switzerland's entry this year. Last year's Polish entry, River, by Ackman, finished in 12th place. Mike, how has this one been sitting for you? Oh, I just love all of the drama that has come out of this selection. Because when we first talked about this song, it was literally 30 minutes after the competition had wrapped. So we didn't get to know any of this behind-the-scenes drama until well after the episode went out. This song, I don't find anything challenging about it, but it falls into kind of the preconceptions of what Eurovision is, so I fully expect this thing to qualify. It is exactly what is on the tin. It kind of reminded me of Paris Hilton's single from, was that like the mid-aughts? And Yeah, like right before we started recording, it's like, oh, I should actually dig that one up and listen to Stars Are Blind. And I think Stars Are Blind is a much more complex song than this one. (laughs) But it's like, oh, I appreciate this song being in the competition just so that you have kind of a baseline of songs to compare. Like, it is fine it is zero on the ph scale yeah, I was, I was just scale say, yeah, if, you, if you do the litmus test it's neither an acid nor a base right. yes. yeah that's funny we're all hearing the same thing i heard it as being artisanal but not artistic it didn't add any surprises it, the the style of it was something we've been hearing for the last five years there wasn't anything really new there it was well constructed And I think it would really appeal to conservative, traditional listeners who want to hear the craft of music making and hear it done well. And it's it's done well. When I see seven songwriters' names taking credit for a simple little pop song, that strikes me as artificial intelligence. That strikes me as (laughs) just... You know, it shouldn't have taken seven people to write Mm -hmm. this, which suggests you're not writing from a place of inspiration. You're writing from a place of craftsmanship and connect the dots. And it becomes hotel art at that point. And um, that that's my impression of this. Uh, uh, Good luck to her. She can sing. And uh, there will be a lot of listeners who who really love this. And maybe it would be their first pick. Uh, It wouldn't be mine. My main note is that this is this feels much glossier than the past two, and like this, def- like I agree that this sounds like something we could have heard any time in the last five years. It made me think of Zara Larson's Lush Life, which was kind of the start of a wave of tropical housey things over in the states when that finally hit radio here, and also all of this drama that we didn't know about over this. It's it's just like a weird mismatch for me. On one hand, I agree with you, Mike. I can completely see this sailing through. On the other hand, I feel like Malta last year had a very kind of Eurovision by the numbers. This is the sort of thing that always goes through kind of a thing. And it refreshingly didn't go through. True. But with it being all televote and that the song is pretty popular, at least in Eastern Europe. So... Yeah, I am adding hotel art to my dictionary <laughs> yes. of references at this point, because that is the perfect description of this song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel like my my other sort of descriptors for songs like this tend to be just sort of like Spotify playlist filler or the sort of thing you would hear on a Netflix reality dating show. Hotel art gets beautifully produced. 
and it has a mass appeal, but it just doesn't have the same thing as like an actual Picasso. It doesn't have the spark of originality. I, I teach students at Berkeley College of Music, and they want to be successful in the music business. And we know that uh, it doesn't matter if you're the Beatles or if you're the Shags. We start with craft, and we have to learn our craft, and we have to imitate others. And then if we've learned our craft really well, original thinking, art, can emerge. And if you are going to be an innovative artist who has a long musical career, get your craft down. It's okay to do work that's a bit formulaic and imitative early in your career. Everyone does that. This piece of work struck me as being similar to what some of our top Berkeley students do. They're still honing their craft, but I didn't hear as much originality as what I heard on Dilia and uh, Victor's record. Yeah, maybe it's just a case of way too many cooks in this particular kitchen. It is keeping it simple, which I think does have its place, but it shouldn't take that many people to keep something this simple, that simple. The song itself is just over two and a half minutes, and they have three minutes on stage. So there's plenty of places where they can add a dance break. They can do something on stage to really sort of give this some extra oomph. I was going to say about simplicity, that Billie Eilish record from 2019, that's simple. But it's simple and elegant. It had a strong melodic hook. I'm thinking of Bad Guy, and it had interesting lyrics. It had innovation. So simplicity does not preclude originality. Slovenia internally selected the band Joker Out and their track Carpe Diem as their entry for Liverpool. The five-man group formed in 2016 and released their debut album in 2021, finding major success in sales, touring, and awards. They were awarded Newcomer of the Year in 2021, as well as Artist of the Year for both 2021 and 2022 by the Golden Whistle Awards. Carpe Diem is written by Boyan Svetakanin, Jan Peta, Yuri Masek, Chris Gushtin, Nace Jordan, and Zarko Pak. Slovenia sent the band LPS to Turin last year, which unfortunately finished last in the first semifinal. Slovenia last reached the grand final in 2019. So Ben, what do you think of Carpe Diem? This is another one like Delia's song where I love the live version more than the recorded version. There's just a little bit of looseness that they add when they're playing this live that makes this one click for me. It feels like a very smart choice for Slovenia. They had had a very long-running selection process that they used, and when LPS finished last in their semifinal, I can see why they would turn around and go, hello, biggest band in Slovenia, would you like to be our Eurovision entry? Because like when I see this, like there is a lot of great energy to their performance. There is... Something very kind of monoskin about what they're doing. So I see why Slovenia also was like, okay, monoskin did very well. We should try and tap into that same energy because, again, that, that resonates with a lot of people. We've talked about there being a bunch of bands in the mix this year, but I feel like they have the energy to stand out from the crowd if they make it to the grand final. I thought it was a good track. I thought it had a good chorus. One thing that I noticed that I would like to hear improved is if I had been working with this band in the studio, I would have tried it in a higher key. 
I thought the key was a little too comfortable for the singer's voice, and I wanted to hear more intensity, so I would have pushed him up there to get him to work harder on those vocals. He can clearly sing. He did a great job. So I would have made it harder for him and made him work harder for our attention. Its function seems to be to get him on the dance floor. It's at that dance tempo. But is this really a song you would dance to? It had so many breaks that it would be annoying if you were on the dance floor and and you heard this record. You'd have to do a a dance remix of it in order to really uh, hit on the dance floor. So I think I would have looked at that as well. But it was a good track. It was well done. And I I think it seems like it would have a good shot. Yeah, I really like this track. And I really like what Slovenia is doing by sending this track. Like, I, I feel like this is what more countries should be doing, where it's like, hey, this is our biggest band. This is our biggest pop star right now. Let's put them on a larger stage and show them like what's going on in our music scene. I think they've been great at all of their live performances during the pre-party season. And I think they are providing, among all the bands, something that is current and relevant. I don't see it as a message song the way that like Ireland's entry is. Uh, it's definitely not like Croatia's entry. And I really hope that Eurovision does work as a launch pad for them so that they can find more international success because they definitely have the charisma and I'm really happy that they are part of this process. They also recently released an English version of this track that I think it works. Uh, I, I'm hoping they keep it in Slovene for Eurovision. I, I think lyrically it's a little bit stronger in the original language, but yeah, I, I think this is a really fun track and I'm hoping it gets Slovenia back into the final because I like Slovenia. They, they always send interesting things. So <laughs> I'm rooting for them. One of the things I noticed is what you just mentioned. You can hear the experience on this record. You can hear in the performances. These are people who've played on stage who've played in front of an audience. And I like hearing that. So I agree with you 100%. I'd I'd like to see more of this in Eurovision, get those experienced performers out there. Yeah. And then just speaking to this being in Slovene, I like the way that listening to music in a different language that I don't speak affects how I listen to it. Because I'm not trying to figure out the words, I feel like I just sort of experience the song purely on its own musical terms, it almost becomes another texture in the mix. When I look at the other songs I'm really enjoying this year, they're often the ones that are not in English, like what Finland is doing and what Croatia is doing. There was a section in This Is What It Sounds Like, where it was talking about the sort of lyrical, well, it was more about the flow of the words rather than what the actual words are saying. I think that is one of the appealing aspects of Eurovision, where it's like, oh, okay, I don't understand what this person is saying, but I can feel what they're trying to communicate because of the ebb and flow of the tones and the notes that they're choosing to convey their message in. Yes, I agree with both you guys. We can get so much satisfaction and really musical excitement listening to a record that's being sung in a language we don't speak because we don't necessarily have to get the information. We're picking up on a lot when we're just listening to the intonation, the style of the vocal delivery is telling us a lot about what's going on with the singer. Now that you mention it, after listening to this record, I didn't even cross my mind that it wasn't in English. I felt like I got it. I felt like I understand what they're saying. And, and you, you just reminded me here like, yeah, I don't, I don't understand a word they said, but I understood the record.
Georgia is our last song today. Irina Kachanovi, who goes by Iru, earned her trip to Liverpool by winning the most recent season of The Voice of Georgia. This is an Iru's first Eurovision rodeo, having won Junior Eurovision for her country in 2011 as part of the group Candy and co-writing Georgia's entry for last year's Junior Eurovision Song Contest. Iru will perform the song Echo, which she co-wrote with Georgie Kukianidze and Benny Kadagzize. Georgie has been on the writing team for several of Georgia's Junior Eurovision songs. Georgia last reached the Eurovision Grand Final in 2016. Last year, Lock Me In by Circus Mercus finished in last place in the second semifinal. This one was my favorite of the five that you shared. I liked this one a lot. I liked it because it was exciting. It was more innovative, I thought, than the others. I thought I heard more original ideas in there. Now, I don't know what's on the charts in Europe, so I don't know if it's actually original or not. But to my ears, it was the most innovative I liked what they were doing with the drums, the drum arrangement. I thought that was a smart move. I I, I thought this was a very appealing record. The singer is really evocative. She did an excellent job of evoking imagery and and of getting you to understand where she was coming from. And she's a powerhouse. If you noticed how well she articulated when she was right there at the very top of her range, She did not run out of breath. That suggests this singer is just an absolute monster. There was a breakdown section, and the timbre in her voice reminded me of early Madonna. I don't hear any other comparisons there other than to say I think that Iru's got real star quality. I think that really comes through on this record. She sounds like a star to me. Uh, I liked this one an awful lot. And I, I was mentioning earlier the concept of congruence among the elements. This one felt of a piece, so to speak. I, I felt a consistency from top to bottom in it that I especially liked. Okay, Mike, you, you seemed very excited about this one. This is the first time that we've actually talked about it on the show because I believe this was the last one that was revealed. So it really kind of caught everybody on the back foot just because, like, lyrically, it doesn't make a lot of sense on the first listen and watching it with the captions on YouTube. It's like, oh, okay, I'm having a little difficulty following it here. Then reading through the lyrics on a page, it's like, nope, still not following what's going on here. But I agree. She is delivering the vocals incredibly and she's made appearances at several of the pre-parties over the last couple of weeks, and she is delivering on those vocals live, uh, which is always scary with tracks like this, because it could easily go off the rails. Mm. I find it to be a really interesting track. And and this is kind of part of Georgia's MO. We generally have described their entries from the last few years as not quite understanding the assignment, but turning in very interesting work. <laughs> I feel like this one is understanding the assignment a lot better than their more recent <laughs> efforts. It's also reminding me a lot of my favorite entry from Georgia, their very first entry, Visionary Dream, which also has lyrics that are kind of all over the place and very dreamlike. That is also a vocal powerhouse and had incredible staging. I'm expecting this to have incredible staging if the video is any indication of what they have planned. My main concern about this one is on the night, is it going to overwhelm and confuse people to the point that they're just not going to support it? Or are people going to be so curious about it that they're going to vote for it because they want to see it again? I'm hoping it's the latter. This is going to be interesting. If it were to go head to head with Blanca, you can imagine that the conservative listeners are going to vote for Blanca and the less conservative are going to 
vote for Iru, but it, who knows what the makeup of the audience is and, and what the mood is. The cultural mood shifts all the time between being more liberal and being more conservative. So, yeah, it would be an interesting head-to-head competition that would certainly divide audiences. If you liked the one, you probably really disliked the other. I think that's a really fair assessment. Uh, ben, what do you think of this one? Mike, have you been peeking at my notes? Possibly. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> because Georgia tends to kind of march to the beat of their own drum, and I kind of love them for that. Lyrically, this one almost feels like the flip side of what I was just talking about with Joker. Carpe Diem is in Slovenian. I have no idea what's going on, but I'm having a great time. This song is in English, and I have no clue what's going on lyrically. There's a beautiful sense of abstraction about how they're using English. But like, or like what I had written down was like, it's like a dream logic. And I'd specifically also written down visionary dream. The other thing that I forgot to look the name above, but there's a national dance style in Georgia. It's very intricate footwork. It almost kind of looks like the performer is floating. There's a real kind of dreamy sense to this. And she just sings the hell out of it. I'm very intrigued to see what they bring on the night, just because, again, the visuals of the video are very evocative, but also have some of that similar abstraction. So I like I think there's some really excellent staging potential with this. We were talking about the listener profile, and this one is a closer match to mine than those other entrants. But I'd like to ask you guys of these five songs, which one would you pick as your top it would be between Slovenia and Georgia, and I'm kind of surprised about that in a way where I, I feel like before this conversation, Georgia wouldn't necessarily be at the top, or in my mind, it would not have jumped to the top. But yeah, just kind of thinking about it more in terms of what we've been discussing just in this conversation. It's like, oh, it, it is doing a lot of things that I really enjoy, even though it is bracing the first time that you listen to it the more that i've heard it like it it does get stuck in your head and there is a lot of technical mastery that is happening in the track iceland has really resonated with me and i think it just pulls in a lot of things i like listening to musically there's almost like a touch of gospel in delia's vocals and how she really really propels herself but then also mixing that with electronic beats over the chorus. It's like a weird mashup of multiple styles of music I like at once. Well, Susan, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. This was just so enlightening, and I, I really feel like I've picked up new ways of listening to these songs that I'll be able to take forward as we continue with this podcast. Thank you. This was so much fun, and I hope that your favorite wins I'd love to do it again sometime, but thank you very, very much for inviting me this time. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Is there anything else that you would like to shout out or, or plug? If you're a music listener who wants to develop a stronger language, shall we say, for describing your own taste in music, then you might enjoy the book that I've written. It's called This Is What It Sounds Like, What the Music You Love Says About You. And after you read that book, you should be better equipped to say why you like what you like. It's written from the perspective of a record producer, which I was for a long time, and also a music perception and cognition researcher, which is what I am now. So I think you might like it. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of The Euro What. Thanks for listening. The Euro What podcast is hosted by Ben Smith. That's me and Mike McComb. That's me. You can find show notes, our socials, and all the info you need about Eurovision 2023 on our website at eurowhat.com. If you'd like to help support the show and access a ton of bonus content for the Euro What AV Club, head on over to patreon.com slash eurowhat. 
Next time on the EuroWhat, we finish out the second semifinal and try to figure out who the hell is Edgar with our special guest, Nava Wolf. 